0: We're in week two of our series called "Wanna Be Loved. And last week, we talked about the miraculous love of God. If you missed that, you can catch up with us on our podcast. And I encourage you to do that. Today, I want to talk to you about wannabe loves. Wannabe loves. Now, you know what a wannabe is, right? It's when someone or something wants to be someone or something that is not. And so they try, they, they might have the look, they may uh, have the walk and the talk, but inside they're not the thing that they are wanting to be. They're just a wannabe, they're a counterfeit, they're a fake, they're a poser. And today I want to talk about the wannabe loves, the counterfeit loves, the poser loves that aren't the real thing a few years ago, I faced a breaking point, like a, a breakdown point. Have you ever faced a moment like that, a breaking point or a breakdown point? It could be a mental, a breaking point. It could be emotional. It could be a physical, like where your body breaks down. It could be um, financial. It could be relational with your um, your loved ones. It's, it's a moment where life as you're living it no longer works. And it's a breakdown moment, a breaking point. I had a moment like that. I was in the middle of preparing to plant this church, Renaissance Church. And I uh, had two occasions where I was going to stand up in front of fellow believers and Christian leaders and pastors, and and get to share with them this mission, this vision of of God calling me to plant the Renaissance Church. And on to on these two occasions, um, I just had like this wave of anxiety hit me, you know, where you you feel like the cold sweat, and, and you get just like this like super nervous feeling. I I could feel like a little tremble in my hands as I was stepping up to speak to these people. And when I got up there, it's like I just fogged over. Like I couldn't think straight. I couldn't form a sentence. I had notes in front of me, but I couldn't really see them or follow them. Like I just fell apart. It was a breaking moment. And I was internally battling with God. Because I was thinking, you know, God, you called me to do this. You called me to plant this church and to step out. And now I'm here and this is happening. Like, why are you letting this happen to me? Like, where are you? And God in his gentleness and his love began to show me some wannabe loves. Before I share more about my story and God's work in me. I want us to look at a passage of scripture. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 13. If you have a copy of the scriptures or an app that you like to read on, you can go there with me. This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking, and he's speaking to the people of Israel. And as a prophet, uh, God is speaking through him. Okay, so you're going to hear the Lord speaking through the words of Jeremiah. So let me read this for us. This is Jeremiah chapter two, verses 11 through 13. He says, Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they were not gods. Yet my people have exchanged their glory, capital G, glory for useless idols. Be appalled at this, heavens. Be shocked and utterly desolated. This is the Lord's declaration. For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. This is the word of the Lord. So Jeremiah is in the, uh, he's giving this word from God, and I just want you to understand the context of this time period. Is that this is a time of a relative uh, revival for the people of Israel. Uh, this was in the reign of King Josiah, and he was a good king. He followed the ways of the Lord. he he honored God, and there was a returning of of the worship of the people Uh, during this time period, they restored the temple and in the middle of, of restoring the temple, they found the book of the law. And there was like this revival that broke out because they heard the words of Moses again. It was a time of revival. And yet Jeremiah is giving a word from God that is getting at the real heart of the people And what he exposes in the people was idolatry, right? That's what he shows us. Has a a nation ever exchanged its gods, little g gods? He says, look, they were not gods. Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Useless idols. You see, an idol is anything that we place above God, anything that we place above God. And you need to understand a little bit of the history of the people of Israel. Now, if you remember their story, they came out of Egypt and Moses and Pharaoh and and all the plagues and they get into this wilderness and they sin against God and they're forced to, to kind of wander in that wilderness for 40 years, but they've been promised this promised land, the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, and finally, after 40 years in a stinking wilderness, they make it. They make it into the promised land. God fights on their behalf. They push out all these these peoples that were there, and they get into this land and they realize it really is a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, the, the the ground is so fertile. They could grow these amazing crops in this place. And then they discover that the people that had lived there before them had this whole fertility god and a fertility cult. And it was the worship of a god named Baal and a goddess named Asherah. It was a dark religion full of sexuality and, and prostitution and child sacrifices. And they believed that this was the, the cause, of the fertility of this land. And so many people in Israel began to worship Baal in Asherah, and they began to commit all these acts of idolatry, and so that's the backdrop of what's happening here. And the lie that they had believed was that their well-being, their success, their prosperity came from someone or something other than God. That's the lie. That's the lie of a wannabe love, that your well-being, your success, your prosperity comes from someone or something other than God. Now, you and I probably don't have a, a Baal statue in our house or something like that. You're probably not a part of some top secret cult worship of fertility or something, but we have things that, that clamor for our worship. We have idols. And I just want to look at what are some of the things, what, what are the wannabe loves that we're tempted to embrace? And I thought of three categories and hopefully one of these will resonate with you. And if not, maybe there's another that comes into your mind as I'm speaking. But the first one is this, putting people over God, putting people over God. That's when we think that our well-being is based on the thoughts and opinions and approval and acceptance and admiration of other people. And as long as they think well of us, then we are well. Right? It's, It's when their words about us have more power over us than God's words about us. If we put people over God. This can manifest in gossip. It's like when we begin to believe that people and what they think really matters and that we begin to spread what we think about people and issues with our words and we begin to sort of unleash this dark spiritual force through our gossip, our mouths. Or It could be manifesting in like a codependency where we're excessively dependent upon another person. And if they're okay or they're okay with us, then we're okay. And if they're not okay or they're not okay with us, then we're not okay. We can put people over God. I mean, in this time period, in an election year, how easy is it for us to think that Everything rides on the people, right? And so whatever party or, or, or politician that you like and you think like this is the hope of America, it's like that person. And we have to remember that the person is not the hope of America. It's like God is the hope of our nation. We can put people over God. The second category is putting possessions over God. I mean, this is the consumerist myth that we're bombarded with every single day. It's this this um, this lie that says the level of our lifestyle determines the level of our happiness. If we could just have a little bit nicer things, if we can make a little bit more money so that we can afford a better car or house or furniture or whatever... If our lifestyle level is higher, then our happiness level will be higher. And it's just not true. It's when we believe that money is the answer to all of life's problems. We can be subtly twisted and think that money's the answer and God exists to bless me and give me money so that I can have the answer when it's like, no, 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 God was always the answer. We can put possessions over God. And Jesus famously said in Matthew six twenty four, you cannot serve both God and money. It's like you just can't do both. You'll either hate the one and love the other. The third is putting pleasures over God. So we have people, possessions, and then pleasures, putting pleasures. That's when we seek comfort in the worldly pleasures uh, rather than in God. Now, I believe as believers in Christ, as Christians, the people who understand the creator God, who makes all of this for man's uh, enjoyment, that we should be people who are able to enjoy things more than anybody. I mean, I love good food. And, and I can love the good food because I know where the good food comes from, right? That God has provided for us. And I, I love like a, a good glass of wine because I can appreciate that this was, um, you know, a, a grape that was grown in such a way that it's just got to have certain flavors. And as a Christian, we can enjoy these things in a way that's pure and it's holy and it honors God. But we all know it's so easy for us to put our pleasures over God and to think that our well-being comes from being able to have those pleasures. We have these addictive habits that can form in our lives, and those really begin to show us where we believe our well-being comes from. That addiction, it's like always craving more consumption of whatever that thing is, whatever that pleasure is. And it, it lies to us and says that if we have it, then we're good. Right? So it's people, possessions, and pleasures and in the midst of the idolatry that God is seeing in the people, he begins to speak to them in this metaphor. Verse 13, he says, for my people have committed a double evil, like not just one evil, but a double evil. And he says, they've abandoned me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first one. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living waters. And they've dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns. They cannot hold water. The second one, they have dug a cistern for themselves. They've abandoned me, the fountain, and they've dug a cistern. He speaks to them in metaphor. Now, in Palestine, there were three primary water sources. The first would be a spring, a, a, a fountain. It was literally in Hebrew called living water, spring water. It's the water that comes up naturally from the earth. And in Jerusalem, there's the Gihon Spring. And that would have been the primary water source in Jerusalem. So these people knew. They had vivid uh, visual images that would come into their minds as they're hearing this word, this spring that f- that was flowing in the city. And this would be the best water, right? Now, when I go to the grocery store and I pick out bottled water, I mean, I'm looking for spring water because it's the best. It's like so much better than purified water. It just has this amazing flavor. This would be the best water that could come out of the ground. The the second would be well watered. And it's just like we would do today where you dig down deep into the water table and you have to draw that water up and it's good water. It's not as good as spring water, but it's good water. But the third type of water source they had was the cistern, the cistern water. Now, this week, I found a picture of a cistern uh, from Jerusalem near the temple that was discovered in 2012 or rediscovered in 2012. And it, it's probably um, the cistern that Jeremiah might have in his mind as he's, uh, as he's speaking, because this cistern would date back to his time period. And the way that this cistern would be built is you would dig down deep into this limestone. I mean, this is stone that they're having to, to kind of bust into. And then they would take these kind of limestone bricks and kind of create the structure and form. And then they would go back and they would put plaster over the top. And that's what would create the waterproofing was this plaster. And this would be used for um, runoff water, like rainwater. They would collect in this cistern. And the only problem is it wasn't just the rainwater, but it was all the debris and the mosquito larvae and the algae and things that would get down in the cistern. Now, I had an experience of this this summer. We had one of those above-ground pools, and uh, as the summer wore on, the kids kind of lost their interest in swimming in the pool, and I started to lose my interest in cleaning the pool. And after a while, I finally went into the backyard and looked at the pool and thought, oh man, this is bad. And so I, I started to drain the pool. It took like three days to drain the pool. And the only problem was that there's like three inches of water that wouldn't drain at the bottom of the pool. So I was busy and a week went by and then another week went by and then another week went by and finally, I went in the backyard and I saw the three inches of water and it was bad y'all. I I didn't have uh, rubber boots or rain boots. And so I had to go in the garage and I found some of my wife's old rubber boots that are like three sizes too small. And I shove my feet into there and I'm kind of walking on my toes. I, I climb the ladder into this above ground pool with a five gallon bucket. And I step into the most putrid, stinky, just green clouds of algae. There's like mosquito larvae floating in the water. And I'm, as I'm scooping the water out, I'm seeing that there's like bugs, like these, these kind of bugs that were about that big and they're just swimming from cloud of algae to cloud of algae. I mean, it was just the nastiest thing I've ever done in my life. And that's the metaphor that God's using A cracked cistern where all the water has flowed out, and all that's left is this like nasty, putrid sludge with larvae and bugs in it. He says, You've forsaken this fresh, wonderful, flowing fountain, and you dug a cistern, and it was nasty. You see, just like cisterns are wannabe fountains, idols are wannabe loves. And the the big point that I want you to get is that wannabe loves will drain you. They'll drain you. You see, there's a key phrase in, in here where he says, they dug cisterns for themselves, now, I used to live in the hill country, and there's lots of limestone there, and one day I decided I was gonna build a fence in my backyard for a, a new dog that I got, and so I started to dig the fence, and I got about two inches deep, and I hit solid limestone, and so I drove in my truck, and I rented a jackhammer, and I, I kid you not, I jackhammered for the better part of an entire day just to get a hole deep enough for one fence post. Now, can you imagine these people without jackhammers in ancient Palestine and they are trying to dig for themselves a cistern in the limestone? I mean, talk about draining. That had to be such a draining experience. I mean, that is hard Work and then they dig it right and they put the plaster on, and before they know it, it's leaking. And the frustration, the headache of always needing to patch it up. You know, that's, that's what it's like with these idols, with these wannabe loves. They, they, they take so much work from us. We, we work so hard to, to get things right, to, to, be, to get our lives right, to try to make it work. And then all of a sudden, all the water runs out and you're left with the patch job, just trying to patch it up, just trying to make it hold together. Wannabe loves will drain you, they will absolutely drain you. And they will lead us to breakdowns. Now, why in the world would we choose building a cistern over the fountain that just comes up out of the ground naturally, leaving waters? Like why would we choose that sludge over the fountain? Augustine, he classified all sin and idolatry as simply disordered loves. He said it was a love problem. It was a love problem. I found this quote from Tim Keller in Making Sense of God. He says that Augustine observed that the heart's loves have an order to them and that we often love uh, less important things more and the more important things less. Therefore, the unhappiness and disorder of our lives are caused by the disorder of our loves. What he's saying is this. When we have a love problem, we begin to love other things more than God, the lesser things. If we love those more than God, this disordered love creates a disordered life and it will absolutely drain us. It will lead us to the breaking point, to the breakdown. So there I was three years ago, standing in front of brothers and sisters and leaders and pastors and standing up to share the mission and vision and just getting clobbered by anxiety. I was so frustrated. (laughs) I was falling apart. Not long after that, I was outside one day cleaning out Casey's cars, washing her car for her. And in the middle of it, I just started to have this like really intense chest pain. And I'd never experienced anything like that before. I'd heard descriptions of a heart attack and it felt like a heart attack. And so I went inside and I just told Casey, I was like, hey, I don't feel good. I think I'm having a heart attack. And she's like, let's get in the car and let's go. And so we went up to the hospital and I did all the tests and everything. And I'm thinking like, you know, I'm having a heart attack. Like, you know, I finally ate too many hamburgers, too many cheeseburgers at Whataburger, right? I'm thinking this is it. And they come back and they're like, everything's great. Your heart is in great condition. Everything's working properly. Have you been stressed about anything lately? You see, that's a key indicator. That's a key indicator. Whenever we're filled with anxiety and stress, that's a key indicator. I found a quote this week from Steve Cuss. It says, anxiety can be an early detection system that we're depending on something other than God for our well-being. What he's saying is, look, when we, when we trust and want to be loves, what happens is we don't find love. We don't find life. What we find is uh, nastiness and we're left high and dry and we're filled with anxiety and stress. We're filled with anxiety and Stress. uh, As I've gotten older and I've grown in my faith and I've read more of the scripture, I've began to understand God's judgment a little bit differently. Here's what I mean. We only think, or we typically only think of God's judgment as what happens at the end of time, the great white throne judgment and the the separating of the sheep from the goats and everyone giving an account for themselves and all those things will happen absolutely as the scripture says. But I've, I've got this nuanced understanding that judgment is kind of like natural laws. What I mean is this, we have a natural law of gravity and nobody gets a pass on gravity. In fact, if you were to think, you know what, I, I don't believe in gravity. I don't think it's real and, and I'm free from gravity. And so you go walk off a cliff and guess what? Gravity's going to win every single time because that's the way God made the world to work. And we begin to disorder our loves. We begin to go after these wannabe loves. We put them over God. What happens is there's just like a way in which life is meant to work. And all of a sudden you're trying to defy gravity. It's like, it just won't work for you. You won't thrive. You won't find the well being that you believed was in that thing. And there I was. And the want to be loved that God pointed out in me is that I had put people over God. I'd started out with God, God had called me, I knew he was with me, I knew that he was speaking to me, that he was calling me to plant this church, but there was this subtle shift somewhere along the way where I felt like people thought I was good, that I was gonna be good at this. And then all of a sudden it turned into, I need people to think that I'm going to be good at this. And so when I would stand up to speak, it's like I was so desperate for them to say, you're going to do great. It's going to be awesome. We believe that you can do it. And in that shifting of my heart, I began to place an idol, a wannabe love over God. I wanted people to admire me. And God, in his love and his grace, showed me that that would not work. Want to be loves will drain you. I know it from experience. But the second thing that I want you to understand is that God's love will sustain you. Want to be loves will drain you, but God's love will sustain you just as that water metaphor is so rich for us because 70% of our bodies are water that we can survive 40 to 60 days without food, but only three to four days without water. It's like water is so essential to our lives. It's essential to the food sources that we depend on. It's like we understand the value of water and God speaks to us in a metaphor of water. Just as water sustains our physical bodies, our souls are sustained by the love of God. That's why David in Psalm 63, he says, God, I thirst for you. In verse three of Psalm 63, he says, my lips will glorify you because your love is better than than life. I thirst for you. Your love is better than life. Psalm 94: He says, Satisfy us. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. God's love will satisfy us, it, it will sustain us. It's like the spring, it's the fountain naturally pouring forth. You don't have to dig a well. You don't have to pump it out of the ground. You don't have to build a cistern. It will naturally come to you when we begin to turn from the wannabe loves. The gospel to you today is this. There is a fountain. So, have you hit the breaking point? Right? Is anxiety or stress ruling you? And I just want you to key in and just listen to that because maybe God's trying to show you something. Maybe there's some way where you're just, you're counting on something else to bring the well-being that you need into your life rather than God. And here's what we do with a wannabe love. First of all, you realize it's a wannabe. That's step one. Call it what it is. It's a poser. It's a fake. It's a wannabe. It's not the real thing. We have to first name it and say, you know what? That is a wannabe. It's just a wannabe. The second thing is this. Return to the fountain. Return to the fountain. That's the invitation of heaven to you today. Please hear me. Please hear the heart of God. The love of God calls to you. It wants to flow into you unhindered, naturally, like a spring, like living waters. And all you have to do is return, to turn to Jesus, to turn to the Father, to put your hope and trust in him, to begin to exalt him above all this other Stuff, and that's what I want to challenge you to do today. Want to be loves will drain you, but God's love will sustain you. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.